you. Thank you, everybody. I think you can hear me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. What an honor to be here amongst all of you and to share in this evening. Uh, CEO is a pretty amazing thing, I'll have to say. Um, and I'm really, really grateful that you have come here. And I'm hopeful that our time together is not only worthy, but that you feel like you've been boosted by some of my story. It's my story, so I sure hope it works well for you. <laughs> I am very, very honored, though, to try and share with you a bit of a journey um, that I've been on. Uh, as everyone has introduced, my name is Joan Hackbarth, and uh, I'm married to Dan, and uh, I am extremely blessed to share life's journey with such a wonderful person and I'm going to just give a few minutes about him because he's so much a part of the fabric of my life. But this man is not only faith-filled, calm, and very kind, but he's my best friend and he's been my confidant for more than 33 years. So he knows a whole lot about me. We're parents of four living children and we're members of St. Elizabeth's since its inception. Uh, my faith journey, though, didn't start here at St. Elizabeth's, and um, I'm about to share that it started a long time ago, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but it started in my youth in a very loving, faith-filled Jewish home in Iowa City. Um, our family celebrated our faith in every way that you do in your families. We had a strong faith in a daily practice. We shared prayer at our home. We went to Friday night services. Yes, we believed in football, but yes, we went to Friday night services all my life. Um, we went to Hebrew school. We attended all kinds of service communities and we volunteered in our temple. Our faith was a big part of our celebrations. Melissa mentioned celebrations and holidays. You know the feeling of how those memories resonate within you and those memories become who you are. And that was our um, celebrations, whether it was Purim or it was um, Passover or it was some celebrations that maybe you personally haven't experienced, but our Jewish community here in Cedar Rapids and across the world celebrate every year. High Holidays was the most sacred, and we spent hours and hours and hours in church, in synagogue, excuse me, in synagogue. But it was like church, and it was beautiful, and it was who I was, and it was how I was brought up. For those of you that aren't aware of the Jewish tradition, a Jewish person believes that Jesus is a very learned rabbi and a wonderful prophet, but that he's not the Son of God. And that's a big difference between Judaism and, and Christianity. Uh, they're waiting for the Savior to come. So in J Iowa City, not too far away from here, right? Iowa City, Metropolis, 180 Jewish families were in our community. There were a total of four Jews in my graduating high school class. My twin sister and I were two. <laughs> you do the math. Um, so it's true that we weren't much of a majority in all of Iowa City. And you know, when I started to write this talk, I realized that we actually faced some prejudice. As a child, I didn't know it in that way. But a few examples would be, 
one family in our neighborhood, um, the young woman was my age, our age, my twin sister and I, and she was a friend. So what do you do with friends? You want to come over and play? You want to do the birthday party thing? Well, she was not allowed in our home, and she wasn't allowed to accept any of our birthday invitations. She was a Palestinian, and Jewish people weren't supposed to be a part of her life from her family's perspective. Another form of prejudice, you might say, or, or at least um, an activity that we weren't welcome in, was youth group. Now, when you're in middle school and high school, it's important to be a part of everything that your friends are doing, and youth group was huge. Wednesday nights, that was a big thing, and I wanted to go, right? And my family had to teach me that that really wasn't the space for a nice Jewish girl. I was bat mitzvahed at age 13. Now, that's a Jewish custom that's very, very um, important for a young adult, I guess, at 13. A bat mitzvah is for a girl, a bar mitzvah is for a boy, and as a bat mitzvah, you make an adult commitment to the synagogue or to your faith that you will lead out your life in faith and in Judaism. And what we did for that preparation was a two-year study with the rabbi and in our Hebrew school and Sunday schools. And after two years, we culminated the study with a celebration and we were asked as a bat mitzvah to serve the community by leading the service on Friday night and then reading the Torah reading or the daily, you know, the weekly reading that you'd read out of, uh, that we do here in mass. Anyway, I was bat mitzvah at age 13 and I'll have to tell you it was a wonderful, beautiful celebration. And I had made a commitment as all of my family did before me, because I and my twin sister were the youngest, we made a commitment to our Jewish faith at that time. You know, I, I think about it, it's a little bit similar to confirmation maybe, but studying the Torah was such an honor and I believed at that time that I was committed to sh sharing my faith into my adulthood. And adulthood was just around the corner, right, at age 13? I, <laughs> I did um, continue through high school and everything, and I went off to college. And, you know, I think that was when I really got to think about not my faith as a child of my family, but my faith as my own person. And I went to Iowa State... And I met two vibrant, very young women, Nadja and Karen. I can't tell their story without saying their name. We spent hours talking about faith. They were fundamentalist Christians. So just think what happened when they found out I was Jewish. <laughs> Whoa, babe. They were so excited to share Jesus with me. They wanted to talk to me about um, being my, that Jesus should be my Savior. They wanted to... They wanted to save me. They thought I was damned to hell, and they just were not going to have that because they believed that in something much bigger than that. You guys, they prayed by my door <laughs> all the time. I had to step over them to go to the bathroom. I had to step over them to go to class. I had to step over them all the time. And, you know, it was interesting, <laughs> to say the least, but I have to be really frank. I had never witnessed such a strong devotion to faith before. Two people that I didn't really know reaching out in such a way, trying to be there for me, 
um, they prayed for my salvation. They believed and that their prayers would help me find Jesus. Well, I was touched by that passion. I really was. But I wasn't interested in accepting Christ at the time. I was comfortable with my own faith, and I, was, I told them so. In January 1978, the winter of our freshman year in college, I met Dan. And um, there was a lot to say about our young relationship. We had a great time together. We enjoyed each other. Um, but we were very independent and goal-oriented, believe it or not, even as a freshman in college. And we attended to our responsibilities in our classes as well as our jobs. And there would be days that I would go without seeing him. But you know what? I wasn't born yesterday. I know where you can find a good Catholic boy on Sundays. And, and I would go to Mass. Imagine that. But I did. I, I really did attend Mass for more reasons than finding him, however, and I noticed a great deal, and I think it's worthy to share. I noticed the ebb and flow of Mass. Being a non-Christian, a non-Catholic, I was attentive to all of the ritual and tradition that occurred there. The readings, the homily, the, the everything about it, the everything about the flow, if you will, it somehow seemed and resonated to be similar to me, believe it or not, just from all the years that we spent in the temple. It was comfortable, and I attended often, and I found a great deal of solace there. As college went on, we had been blessed with so much joy, but as seniors, we did start talking about our future together. And in those kind of conversations, it was evident that we needed to talk about some deep things like, where is faith going? Because I'm Catholic, you're Jewish. What are we going to do? And we started to seriously attend each other's services more regularly. I would attend Mass with Dan and Ames, and we would have to drive to Des Moines for Temple. But we did so, and he was wonderful to do so with me. It elevated to long conversations, long conversations, because I, not Dan, I asked tons and tons of questions all the time. Why this? Why that? I asked and asked and asked. I'm a visual learner, however, and I observe and learn from everything in my surroundings. And it was evident to me that as I observed Dan, just how grounded he was in his faith. He trusted the Lord with all of his heart and everything he did. His faith was and is still his very center of his being. When we were first dating, and to this day, I'll bet you this morning it happened to, Dan taught me about a prayer that he says. He learned it when he was a small boy, and it depicts this very center of his peace. And it goes like this. Lord... Let me know what you want me to do with my life, and I will do it. Amen. Pretty simple. Well, not only does Dan live that way, but I'm sad to say that when I learned that and I observed his obedience, I didn't get it. I love to ask questions. I want to know why. I want to know when. I want to know where. So I didn't get this at all. I, in fact, thought that his unyielding trust and strength was weakness. 
I don't know if that's something you've ever experienced. Have a witness of faith, a strong, true faith right in front of you all the time and not see it. I know for me, I had a lot to learn. I, we continued our dating and I sought further study because I realized I needed something more. And we tried RCIA for um, information was what I told Dan. Let's go to class. Let's learn more about Catholicism, but only for information. <laughs> and uh, that's what we did. And you know what? I learned about Jesus' miracles. All the stories in the Bible. You guys, you've read those and learned those since you were young, probably. But in a Jewish home, we learned from the Old Testament. And the New Testament wasn't part of our learning. So these were all new things for me. Um, I listened and I continued to ask questions all the time. We were engaged in the fall of 1980 and we began to plan our wedding. And there you go again, there's a ceremony that is so important in your life's faith journey. And we both wanted it to be spiritual. Well, in 1980, there was no rabbi that would even consider um, interfaith marriage such as ours. So the synagogue was out. So we decided with prayer that we still would really like to address our spiritual heritages in some way and have God present somehow. And we were lucky enough to um, have a service at St. Pius X, just right here. Um, and it was a beautiful celebration. It was a bit difficult for my family to be present for such a significant ceremony in an environment that they may not have been so very comfortable in, a Catholic church. But it was also difficult for Dan's family because we chose with Father Ardell Barda's um, consult, if you will, or consulting, that we should have a service, not a mass, so that the people that were there to celebrate us were both somewhat comfortable. So the Hack our Hackbarth family wasn't able to celebrate mass with us at our wedding. So there was a give and take, if you will. But Dan and I, I believe, really felt like it was a beautiful celebration and that God's presence was there, and that's exactly what we had hoped for, for that, that event. We moved to Red Oak as newlyweds, and we sought ways to become active in our community, ways to celebrate our faith together. Well, I'm a doer. I had loved to be engaged with people, I love to be involved in things, and Dan and I worked together a lot of different ways at St. Mary's in Red Oak. There was no Jewish temple there. Red Oak's the size of about 5,000 people in western Iowa. So we got involved as a couple at St. Mary's, and um, we taught 7th and 8th grade CCD. We were involved in marriage encounter, and we volunteered at church. We attended mass. And for high holidays, we went to Omaha for temple. So we were involved a great deal. The St. Mary's community was amazing. And Father Don Brook became a very dear friend of ours. A year and a half later, I decided that I would like to try RCIA again. This is two, second time. This time I thought with my heart that I was ready to really try to accept the journey, accept Jesus for who he was as uh, my personal savior, I thought I was ready. 
And you know, in the beginning of the process of that year, I learned a heck of a lot about Catholic prayer, and I learned more about Jesus, and I thought things were going pretty well until it was the rite of election. And we had a practice up on the altar, and um, I pretty much freaked out. Father Don Brooke, as I mentioned, our very dear friend, well, I guess he noticed my white-as-a-sheet look as we were on the practice altar, and he asked me to come see him after the practice and said, what's happening, Joan? And that's all it took. Tears are rolling down my cheeks, and I said, I can't do this. How'd you know that? And he's like, well, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> so I wasn't able to finish as a candidate at all. My heart wasn't able to accept the things that I needed to move away from from my Judaism. But I did continue to go to class, and I wanted to learn and study more, and I did so. We moved home, meaning home here to Cedar Rapids in 1983. And that doer in me, we were still active in the um, community, St. Pius and then St. Elizabeth's. We taught special ed CCD. We started a young marrieds group over at St. Pius. We worked chilly days and we got involved in marriage prep. It was so many joys laced in all of this time, so many joys of life and acceptance from our friends and our parish communities. It was amazing. In 1985, God blessed us with the chance to have children. So another time in our lives, a little juncture in the road, if you will. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna bring up kids so that their faith will be secure? At this time, we talked to both a rabbi and a priest and you know what they said the same thing and we had them in different rooms <laughs> they said the same thing they said pick one faith make sure your children feel secure with their god help them to learn to pray help them to know a community pick one so with that solid advice we prayed about it, and we, raised our, we decided to raise our kids Catholic. I don't really know how that, that happened. I just know that was God's answer. <laughs> Elizabeth, our oldest, was baptized in a private ceremony at St. Pius. My grandma came. She, she sat next, stood next to me at the private ceremony. She was respectful. And she was thoughtful. And afterwards, I asked her, so Grams, what'd you think? And she said, it was interesting. I took that as acceptance. <laughs> Faith formation began for our family then in full. And as the years unfolded, I was so blessed to be part of a faith community that accepted me for who I was. Our faith community was part of our kids' school. It was part of our church, and it was part of our personal lives. I was active in a woman's faith sharing um, group for years um, with our kids when our kids were growing up, and we would pretty much ransack everybody's house every time we got together and enjoyed learning about the Bible. You know, I've never before this time memorized Bible verses or done spontaneous prayer. And these women, they were on it. They were great, and they taught me so much. 
It was wonderful. It opened my eyes to using the Bible for so many different ways other than just prayer. It was a way to live. It was beautiful. In fact, one of the women that was a part of that is here tonight. Char McDermott was a part of my faith-based community. And Char, you may not remember this, but you were the first person that ever laid your hands on me and prayed in such a beautiful, beautiful way. So thank you, Char. It was wonderful, a very powerful, powerful experience. My faith was growing, I could tell. I taught Sunday school, we attended mass, and we had daily prayer in our family's home. I felt very comfortable and very um, grateful for the many blessings in my life. In spring 1999, we were, er, 1999, excuse me, I've got one, uh, one digit wrong, 1991, we were expecting our fourth child. We had our last doctor appointment that spring day before the due date and we faced some pretty bad news. There was no heartbeat. Doctor couldn't find anything and shared our news that the baby was gone. So we arrived at the hospital, Dan and I, knowing the news, stunned by the news perhaps, and right there was our doctor in our room, and he said, let's sit down now and pray. And prayer just settled the whole thing. Even though it was a very difficult time ahead of us, the, la the, the labor and the delivery and everything, the prayer just centered us all. He prayed with us, with the nurses, and with everyone present. We knew we wait, what, as we waited that time frame, we knew that this was a sacred hello, but it was also our goodbye. We named our daughter Rebecca. The moments we held her were sacred, but she wasn't ours, she was God's. And as we faced Rebecca's death over the days and months ahead, I saw God in our community. I saw him everywhere. Father John Gossman came out to our house unannounced one day and sat down and prayed with me for a long period of time at our kitchen table. Friends and family members reached out in so many beautiful ways and supportive ways too. Our best friends came out and helped plant a beautiful tree that's still in our backyard today. My friends and I made special we care gowns to give to the nurses at the hospital for other families that maybe would have to experience such a loss. So many signs of God so simply shared, they really boosted me. It was a lesson of giving and receiving. I was sure, however, that we were doing just fine whenever anybody asked me, ah, we didn't need anything. Then one day the phone rang and I went over and picked it up. And a woman on the other end is a woman I've known for years. In fact, our parents were best friends, but we didn't have a social life that was connected completely. And I asked her today if I could use her name, and it was Mary Beth Helgens, and she's back in the back today. And she wanted directions to my house. And I'm like, oh, Mary Beth, we're doing great. There's no reason to come out. Thank you, though. It's so nice of you to call me. She said, I told you, how do I get to your house? <laughs> 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 
And it didn't matter how many times I told her, it's okay, she was coming, right? She said, I have a simple meal for you. I'd like to bring it to your house. So I told her my directions, and she came to my house. And when she came, I'll never forget this. It lives with me forever. She got in my face, and she said, Joan, I brought you this meatloaf. I prayed for you while I made it. You're a part of my prayers, and your job is to say thank you. <laughs> so I said, thank you. <laughs> and you know what? It's a strong lesson for us all. It's a strong lesson for us all to reach our hands up and allow others to be God for us, to allow our hearts to be open to others, that we don't need to carry everything on our own. We need to be Christ for each other. So thank you, Mary Beth. So many people in our lives were there on, during that time, but this journey of loss was not one that I had expected, and I needed God to be there for me. Dan was trusting, and he was able to say that this was part of God's plan and that we needed to handle it that way. I, on the other hand, was struggling I realized that I had so many blessings to be thankful for, but I grieved for the loss of a little girl that we greeted and had to let go so very quickly. I questioned where Jesus was, and I asked myself about Rebecca. Did she need him for salvation? I asked questions for myself, too. What does it mean for me personally? You see, my struggle was with my need for a personal savior. I loved God. I tried to live by his commandments, and I drew him near to me in prayer. And I knew I was created by him and loved by him. But I would ask over and over and over again, why do I need a savior? Well, so I knew I needed to keep watching for signs, and I did. I tried. I watched for signs of his saving grace, life-giving signs. And I guess I have to ask you, I wonder if you have ever seen him reflected in others. Have you received a gift of his love in ways that resonate and change you and make you think of things differently? Because that's what I was looking for. I was looking for some of those signs. And my faith journey continued. In fall of 1994, my twin sister Julie had major surgery after 18 months of hospitalization. And after a few more weeks of recovery, she came home to live with us. 82 pounds, dependent, and super needy. So our daily life at the time was very full. I busied myself with the needs of our home, the needs of our kids, and Julie's needs. And I worried about her. I worried about her every single minute. I worked hard to help her become independent. She was the mother of two children and I wanted her to live with them just as much as she wanted to be there. And you know what? I grew upset and I grew angry the more she didn't find the independence that I thought she should have. So I, and I shared each of these days, every single one of them with Dan, and I watched him. I was in awe. Daniel accepted Julie right where she was. 
He demanded nothing of her, and he made her laugh, and he helped her to dream, and he gave her life, and he gave her hope. And I saw God, and I saw him right there in this man that I love so much because he was a true example of unconditional love. Not love that I could share at the time, but love that was free and was right there for her. I witnessed Christ right there in Dan. Fall of 1995, I decided I'm going to try RCIA. Third time. <laughs> Not that anybody's counting, right? <laughs> but you know what? This time it was timing of God. We began that fall with tons of responsibilities of a young family and school and all the things that happened. And on a beautiful fall October Sunday, we stopped in our tracks a bit because we heard some excruciatingly sad news. Dan's brother Tom had taken his life. He was consumed by depression. It was tragically sad. Tom's death was disbelieving for us. His death was earth-shattering. And as a doer, I decided, I know I want and I can and maybe I could do something, do anything to help. What could I do? And why was this happening? Those were the questions that kept resonating in my head. Well, there were many new needs of Tom's family, his wife and his four children, and I tried to be there for them. I'd make surprise meals. We'd have lots of sleepovers, and we spent tons of time in prayer. I grew to realize, though, over these dark days that this was a sacred time to challenge my beliefs, to look further into who and what I believed in. I realized that I needed to reach beyond my Jewish tradition. I needed to look beyond a community of faith and to work towards a personal relationship with Christ. Tom's death showed me the need for a clear focus on Jesus and his promise of salvation. You guys, there was no answers to all of my questions why. There was only room to trust. And there was no way to carry the pain and the loss except to give it to him. And there was no peace in the anguish that we felt unless you believed in Jesus' promise of eternal life. So I went to the Bible. I prayed like I'd never, ever prayed before. I listened for Christ's voice, and I sought answers from Jesus. I observed and watched for signs of his presence. And what did I learn? I learned that Jesus wanted my love. I learned that I had the power to choose him. And I learned that the only way to grow close to Jesus was to let go and yield to his plan. 
I learned that if I was going to live my faith, I needed to proclaim a living God was my life's savior, not only in death, but in life. The cost of discipleship was that I had to live differently. I needed to surrender to him. I needed to trust his love for me each and every day. And I needed to die to myself and live in him. Well, my conversion continued with all of those thoughts in mind. RCIA was going strong, and I had an amazing sponsor, by the way. Um, I worked and read, and prayer became a part of my every day. My biggest struggle remained with where does Jesus fit as my personal Savior. And then it dawned on me. I needed to know him more than just his stories. I needed to know more than just all of his miracles. I needed to know him as my friend. I needed to trust him and spend time with him and build a relationship with him. And I sought to do that. As the weeks and months went on, it became clear to me that this Easter, I sh would be able to accept Jesus for who he was. He was my living savior. And I could join the Catholic Church with all my heart my mind and my soul for what I was that day. This was a 17-year journey, and I was glad to say that I was standing confidently in that decision. I wish I could share that there was a light on this is it, because it wasn't like that. Instead, there was only a gentle calling that kept calling me back for more. And that's how I can explain it to you. It's just Jesus calling to me and saying, please keep learning, please keep listening, please keep spending time with me. This decision, however, my decision to become Catholic and to join the Catholic Church did not come without personal sacrifice. This personal sacrifice is still a little hard for me, even after all of these years. You see, I was always a good girl. I was the good daughter. And in Judaism, one of your primary roles as a Jew is to pass on the faith. So my decision to accept Jesus and convert to Catholicism was like a death to my dad. And I have to be honest, it was excruciatingly difficult for me because of his response. Emotions were at time were too high for words. We wrote each other letters because we couldn't speak. And he sent me prayers that meant something to him. And we cried a lot. And oftentimes we were silent. My folks live full time in Florida. Miles separated us. But I'll have to tell you that miles were nothing compared to the way that I felt our hearts felt, because that was what hurt the worst. Time passed, and RCIA classes continued, and Easter came. And I need to share something else about me personally as I stand here. 
physical gifts for me, physical gifts given to me at special moments, they don't mean a whole lot to me. I'm more of that person, the gift of the heart. But on that Easter, the physical gifts that were shared with me were monumental. Daniel gave me a gift that showed proof that he believed that my heritage meant something to who I was and always will be. And he gifted me the most beautiful statue of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. It's beautiful. My Hackbarth family gathered and they had cards and they were excited and that was wonderful to share that with them. And the doorbell rang. And I went to the door and there were flowers from my dad. I know. When I tried to call him to thank him, we couldn't speak, but I think the tears we both shed kind of connected us over the miles. We experienced the sacraments, at holy Easter vigil. What does that feel like? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. I'd never been to an Easter vigil before, and the liturgy and the tradition and the ritual, it was so fulfilling. It was beautiful. I was able to hold the bowl of water to have the community come forward and bless themselves. What an honor. I was celebrating with my St. Elizabeth's family fully, completely. It was huge for me. I was baptized, an experience that really helped me feel anew refreshed. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was nourished by his body and his blood. I was aware of my personal commitment. This was me, Joan. This was me making some huge statements of who I was and who I wanted to be. This was just the beginning too. <laughs> what an amazing, amazing experience. I was content and I was fulfilled to be Catholic and I still am today. Mom and Dad came to visit for the first time since my conversion. It was really tough. Emotions were high, especially between my father and I. And we had plans for a family barbecue. Just something fun, something light. Let's just get together. Keep this simple. And my parents went to pick up my twin sister that Sunday morning, and there were emergency vehicles surrounding her home everywhere. And mom and dad ran to the door, and they had to face some news that no parent wants to face. Julie had passed away in her sleep that night, and they came home to tell us that for the barbecue. We faced Julie's death as a family, with all the ritual and tradition a family would do, and Dad and I realized that the distance between us only magnified the pain of the loss. So I'm not sure how you describe or even try to put into words the gift that God gave us following Julie's funeral. Dad and I went to the park by our house, just the two of us. And we sat and we talked, we found some words together, and we got a chance to do something that was amazing. We promised each other, really verbally promised each other, that we would never let anything get between the love that we shared. And we both agreed and said out loud to each other that God would never want that to happen. You know what? It was a transformation. And God had blessed us with such wonderful forgiveness. 
And this was an experience of healing and a huge blessing of God's grace. My faith journey was reinforced and I learned so much. I learned that Jesus was the key to change, that he was the key to healing, and that he was the key to life lived fully. This is a world of acronyms, I know. So I tried to use this word key to leave you with a lesson. So the acronym key, if you can handle this, the K, K is keep your focus on him. The E, engage in a relationship with him. And the Y, yield to his will. Today, 19 years later, you, I don't know about you, but my faith journey still continues. I believe it's a daily challenge. And I ask myself solid questions, I really do. Do others see Christ in me? Do I focus on Christ each day? And do I trust in him to answer what I'm doing today? My answer to you is not always. <laughs> I'm far from perfect, but I do strive to do those things. And I know when I do, I feel so much more centered and so much more at peace. I think the key to conversion is to know that it's not ending. It's a journey today, tomorrow, and always. I tried to think of an example, and God gave me one right there, right as I was preparing this just the last few weeks. And here it is. I have a wonderful childhood friend, you know, the kind that knows what you're thinking, makes you laugh, has amazing childhood memories with you. That childhood friend has been through a heck of a journey the last couple years. And we had a chance last week to go and visit her in California. And her journey started two years ago. And in her journey, she um, was diagnosed October 31st, um, two years ago, with breast cancer. She's a survivor, thank God. And on December 31st, that very year, two years ago, uh, she developed a high fever, went to the hospital, and staph had infected her body. A very serious form of staph infection. And her chances of survival, 20%. As I mentioned, I went and saw her last week, so God was good. She did survive that situation. However, the staph infection took her right leg. In doing so, she had a whole new journey to um, face, if you will. I'm thousands of miles away. I'm a phone call, I'm a note, I'm a present in the mail, but I'm not there for a hug, and I'm not there for much physical. But she has a wonderful, wonderful, powerful spirit. She's positive and courageous and all the things I wish I was. And one night on Wednesday, uh, it was a Wednesday night, she called me in tears, hardly able to visit. Joan, she said, I need your help. I need some words of encouragement. You've got to help me find some way to get through. It was 10.30 at night on a Wednesday. I'm like, Rube, I'm like, Susan, I can't do that. I, I'm exhausted. 
Of course, I didn't say those words. I sat quietly and listened. And you know what? God gave them to me. She said, tell me a Bible reading. Tell me a Bible reading. And I found one. It, Christ found one for me. Listen to this. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Simple and true. So I said it to her. Susan, here's one. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And she said, send it to me, will you? Will you send it to me? That's going to be my cheer. You're my cheerleader, she said. And thanks so much for letting me cry with you. I needed you tonight, and you only listened, and you gave me what I needed. And she went on and on, and I said, of course, thanks. But I knew I wasn't the one talking, that it was Christ that had given me those words. Well, the reason I tell you all of that now is that last week I got to celebrate a week of life with her. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, do you know how important you were to me? And she showed me in her bathroom these words, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. She goes, you gave me that. You sent that to me. I was like, Susan, it's in the Bible. You know? <laughs> but... It was amazing, and I'm so grateful that we had the chance to celebrate that and fulfill not only my desire to be a friend to her, but Christ's desire to work in both and work through my words. So my prayer for you is this, and my challenge for you is this. Who can you be Christ for? Jesus wants us to stay alert, and he wants us to see him. You know, it's whether you're praying for someone you desperately want to know God, or maybe you offer love unconditionally, loving someone that's hard to love at the moment but simply just needs your love. Or perhaps you're trusting God through struggles of loss, asking Jesus to help hold you and carry you through. Or maybe you're sharing a meatloaf with someone that needs a sign of his love. Or maybe his grace you are able to find forgiveness and healing through his grace. When I look back on my journey, the real aha, are you ready? I realized that he was always there. He was right beside me. I just had to look. And so I hope each and every one of you will keep your eyes open that way. I have a gift for you, a physical gift. Remember, I'm that visual learner. And that gift is a key. I have a key that Father so kindly blessed this evening, a key that leads us to that acronym again, to keep your focus on him, engage in a relationship, and yield to his plan. Keep that key that'll be available to you as you walk out the door, um, and keep it as a visual reminder that you too have a strong, solid relationship with Christ and walking each and every day with him is only made stronger by the relationship that you keep alive. My hope is that your journey is full of thousands of unlocked doorways filled with Jesus' love. Thank you.